as we continue this morning our study in the book of James, we'll be looking in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And if we remember the setting that James is writing into, he is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who have been spread all around Palestine. And he's writing to these people because word has gotten back that as they have spread out and as they have established churches, that there are some things they're doing in their churches that just aren't right. There's some things they're doing in their churches that really don't fall in line with the way Christ has called us to live as his people. And one of the glaring things that was taking place was just this dichotomy and this separation within the church between its wealthy members and its members who are struggling just to get by. See, there was a common practice beginning to take place in the churches where, you know, those who were wealthy would get prominent seating and those who are wealthy would get special attention and those who didn't have very much means, well, they would kind of be cast aside. And there's one thing that's clear within the church is that there is supposed to be no division. One thing that's clear within the church is that there's not supposed to be any hierarchy or power structure that exists in this place because at the foot of the cross, we are all on level ground. At the foot of the cross, we are all in the same need of a savior. And no matter what we have as far as material possessions and wealth at our disposal, it really doesn't earn us any kind of special treatment before God. And so what we see in the midst of the trials that James is talking about, he gives special instruction to both the poorer members of the congregation and also the richer members of the congregation. And we see the word he gives to them here, starting in verse 9 of chapter 1 of the book of James. It says here, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You know, it's interesting that James places this little nugget of truth where he does in his opening of this letter. He's been talking about trials and tribulations. He's been talking about seeking wisdom and how we are to stand fast amongst these trials. And in that, the next passage that we'll be looking at next week, he talks about standing firm in the midst of those trials. And so it kind of gives the implication that money and wealth and finances is going to be one of the big trials that we deal with in this life. And we see that in all kinds of different places. You even see it in the pages of Scripture. I'm reminded of the story of the rich young ruler who comes before Christ asking what I must do in order to inherit eternal life. And after a little bit of questioning back and forth, Jesus says, do this, go and sell everything you have and follow me. And the rich young ruler was sad and grieved in heart because he had much. It's an amazing thing that sometimes whatever side of the spectrum that you're on, whether you have a little or whether you have much, money can be a huge stumbling block when it comes to us following after Christ. And I think that's why James puts this warning right here in the middle of his discussion of trials. Because wherever we find ourselves, 
Money can be one of those things that leads us astray. You know, it's really interesting in this passage of scripture, it doesn't talk about the elimination of the poor within the congregation. And it doesn't talk about any chastising of the rich in the congregation. In fact, Jesus even talked to his disciples saying when they were looking to sell, when they were looking to go and, and take the ointment that was poured over him and his anointing, and they said, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. Jesus' response was, listen, the poor are always going to be with you, but I'm only here for now. And so we look at what the gospel and the gospel message is that's contained in scripture. And a lot of times we want to try to make the gospel say something that the gospel doesn't say. You know, we sit there and we think that the gospel is supposed to be the answer to poverty in this world. It's not. We think that sometimes the gospel is supposed to be the answer to hunger in this world, and it's not. Because the gospel isn't really chiefly concerned with the physical things of this time in this place. The gospel is concerned with our eternity. The gospel is concerned with our eternal state and where we will be once we leave this place and we enter into that eternity. The gospel is concerned with our sin the forgiveness of our sin and making us righteous and holy before God. And as soon as we try to take the gospel out of those parameters, as soon as we try to cram the gospel and make it say something it was never intended to say, we find ourselves getting into real trouble. And so what is the word that James has for these people in the church? Well, he deals with their financial situation. He deals with their money first and foremost by saying, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So he's talking to those in the church who don't have a lot of wealth. Maybe these are members of the church who are day laborers. Maybe these are members of the church who are slaves during this time period. And they're coming into God's church. They're coming into God's house. And they really don't have much, barely enough to support themselves, even that. And you know what? That's a situation you can be in. And it's really quick in those situations to take your eyes off of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before where you look at your bank account and you look at your bills and you realize the two things really don't line up. You know, you don't know how you're going to get this amount of money to cover this much expenses while putting food on the table, while buying clothes for your kids, while paying your rent, while paying your car insurance and getting all the things done you need to get done. But man, in those moments, you can start to worry and you can start to fret and you can take your eyes right off of Jesus so quickly and start looking inward at yourself. How am I going to take care of my needs? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on my table and then setting any kind of worship any kind of accolade any kind of praise that you would give to god is just gone and so james tells people in that condition listen you need to exalt and boast in your exaltation what does he mean by that see as we come to christ we have been given a blessing that far outweighs any of the material possessions of this world. Scripture says that this world is going to fade away. All of the wealth, all of the pleasures, all of the joys of this place one day are going to be gone. They're all going to be rolled up like a scroll and cast away. And Paul writes that when we look at the glory that is to come, 
when we look at the glory of God's kingdom, when we look at the glory of the eternity that we have to look forward to as we pass from this life in death and then rise to walk in a life that is pure and holy and good, free from sin, free from death, free from pain. Paul says that when we look at that glory that is to come, well, then the pains and trials of this life, they just pale in comparison. You know, I remember when we had our kids. And man, each time going into the hospital when our children were born, that was a scary event. And each time was a little different, you know. We didn't really have the normal experience with our kids where they said, like, oh, no, we got to go to the hospital. Ours were usually kind of scheduled because Megan had some blood pressure issues that were going on and things were happening. So they would say, you're going to come in and you're going to have a baby at 4 o'clock on Tuesday. <laughs> and so that's kind of what we would go do. And I'll never forget sitting in the moment with one of our kids being born and Megan's blood pressure was spiking up really high and the doctor came in and started talking to her and said, listen, we can do this however you want. You are in control, you are in charge and we can take whatever path you want. We can start to induce labor, which means that you're gonna be in labor for about 10 to 12 hours or so. And in that time, because of your blood pressure, you're probably going to have a seizure at some point. But we'll take care of you and we'll get you through it. It's your choice. It's totally fine. Or just another option, we could take you back and do a C-section and you'll be done in about 20 minutes. It's your call. And we remember sitting in the hospital room thinking like, oh man, suddenly that means surgery and we haven't done that before and what are we going to do? And you talk about just like fear in that moment trial in that moment but man fast forward 20 minutes and we're holding that baby wow the glory that comes makes all of the pain and all the suffering and all the fear that came before pale in comparison and i think if you were to ask my wife was the experience worth it she would say a thousand times yes See, that's what it's going to be like for us as we pass from this life into the next. When Jesus Christ comes back and we see the resurrection of the dead and we stand before him in glory and we are changed in the twinkling of an eye and suddenly all of our sin is cast off of us and suddenly every deceitful thought we've ever had is just gone, every deceitful motive of our heart is just gone, and we become in that instant like him in fullness, and we know that that's how we're gonna spend the rest of our eternity in his kingdom, praising and worshiping and serving him forever, and suddenly, no matter what we were in this life, rich or poor, honored or dishonored, none of it's gonna matter anymore, because any pain and suffering we experience in life will pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. And so that's what James is talking about here. He's saying to those who are poor in the church, he says, listen, boast in your exaltation. When you talk to other people, don't make a big deal of your, of your poverty. Don't make a big deal of your lacking because don't you understand what Christ has given you? And understand what that does within the church when people have that mindset and that attitude. When people aren't always complaining about their lack, complaining about what it is that they wish they had, but instead talking about the glorious things that Christ has already done. 
people look at those in the church who act that way and they say, wow, the God they worship must be real. The God they worship must actually be doing something in their heart and in their life because, man, if I was in their situation, I don't know what I would be doing. But here they are, praising God, glorifying him, giving honor and praise to his name, and wow, they don't have a lot to show for it. That's an amazing thing to be able to do in the heart and life of the church. Now, this does not mean that when we suffer and we need help that we don't come and ask the church for it and we don't ask our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, one of the reasons that God has given us the church is so that we can take care of each other. But there is a far cry difference between someone who is constantly putting their lacking on center stage versus someone who then comes in a desperate time of need for aid. And we all know the difference. And so James here tells those who are struggling in the church, boast in your exaltation. Boast in what Christ has done for you. Boast in the future glory that you are going to have. And lean on the promises that Jesus Christ says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then everything else will be added to you. God will give you what you need for this life, not necessarily always what we want, but what we need to honor him and glorify him in this place if we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and we obey his word. The rest of this passage shifts and begins talking to those who are wealthy in the congregation. We see in the next part of the scripture, it says, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So the rich are told that they need to boast in their humiliation. See, for the poor and the struggling, a lack of funds causes you to take your eyes off Jesus because you're constantly consumed with what you need and what you don't have. The rich have a very different problem. Those who are well off, those who are taken care of, those who have more than what they need, they look around at the world and its pleasures and its joys and the things that it can offer and they are enticed to indulge. They're also enticed in the same vein to not rely on the Lord for their provision because they provided for themselves everything they need. They forget to thank God for all the things they have because they feel like they've built it up themselves. And you know what? They don't really worry and ask God to keep them safe and protect them because they've got a bank account that's going to do that for them. And so you see, if you have great wealth, there's a huge temptation to pull you away from the Lord. This is why Jesus, when talking with his discussion with the rich young ruler, said, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to humble yourself. You have to know and understand that really as we approach Christ, we do so with nothing in our hands. No good deeds, no righteousness, no good works. And we come before him with nothing, saying, Lord, please forgive me. And so this is what James means when he says that, they, that the rich must boast in their humiliation. See, there's a temptation that when you are well off to look at all you've accomplished and say, look what I have done, look what I have built, look how good I am. There is a movie that Jimmy Stewart was in. I don't remember the name of the movie, but the family was gathering around the table for dinner. And as they gathered around for dinner, 
you know, the dad sits there and Jimmy Stewart just starts eating his food and the wife very quietly and humbly says, well, I think we should say grace. And Jimmy Stewart sits there and kind of huffs it off and says, fine, we'll say grace. And he sits there and he says something like, Lord, we came to this land. We cleared this land. We tilled the soil. We prepared the earth. We planted the seed. We grew the crops. We harvested the grain. We made the bread. We raised the cattle. We slaughtered the cattle. We prepared the beef. We did all these things, but I guess thank you anyway. And a lot of times that's the attitude that some people have when they are well off and they are taken care of and they are rich. They think, yeah, thank God for all this hard work that I've done. But we need to remember and we need to understand that no matter what our situation is and no matter what our financial situation is especially, we are still sinners before a holy God. We still find ourselves greatly lacking the perfect standard that God has for our lives. We find ourselves falling horribly short of the perfection that God demands. You know, people oftentimes will ask, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And my usual answer to that question is, well, that's only ever happened once. When they put Jesus on the cross. Because, see, you and I are not good. None of us are good. We have sinful thoughts. We have sinful desires. We commit sinful actions. In our core and in our hearts, we don't really want anything to do with God anyway. And yet, in his goodness, in his love, and in his grace, God sent his son. And Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place. We deserve crucifixion. We deserve eternal death and punishment. But God in his love and God in his kindness sent his son so that Jesus Christ would die in our place. Jesus Christ satisfies the wrath of God. And as we look to him and we place our trust in him and we place our faith in him, our sin is wiped away. And the righteous life of Christ is applied to our account. To the great mystery of Christianity and the great mystery of our faith is that there is no amount of good we can do to earn our way into God's good standing. Because the work has been done by Christ, living his perfect life, dying on the cross, and then raising from the dead. And you can come to church week after week after week and not be forgiven. You can give money to the church week after week after week and not be forgiven. You can read the Bible cover to cover and not be forgiven. You can pray every day and not be forgiven because none of those things can save you. The only thing that saves you is to look to Jesus, to look to the man on the cross and believe in your heart that his sacrifice satisfies your debt. And in believing that, confessing him as Lord and believing that he rose from the dead, the sin of your life is removed. And the righteousness of Christ is draped over you like holy garments.
And what James tells the rich is that they need to remember that. That none of their cunning, none of their success, none of the amount of wealth that they have mustered up does anything to affect their eternity. But it is only what Christ has done that means anything. So the poor boast in the fact that Christ has lifted them up. The rich boast in the fact that Christ has brought them low. And the only way that you can maintain this is if you have the proper perspective of your life. And James mentions that as he goes into the next verse. He says in verse 11, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is an experience we actually had after we moved to Colorado. You know, in, in Florida, where we're from, stuff's just green all the time. So verses like this don't make sense. But all of a sudden, we came here, and I'll never forget driving down the road between here and Vernal in the springtime. And all of a sudden, looking out, and there were just wildflowers all over the fields by the road. And we just thought how beautiful they were and how wonderful they were. And it's just like, wow, what a great thing this is. And it's just it's so, it's so nice to be able to drive and see those things. And then all of a sudden, summer came. And what happened to all those wildflowers? The sun scorches them, they wither up, and they die, and they go away. And then by the time that winter comes in, the snow begins to fall, you've even really kind of forgotten they were ever there until next spring, you're surprised again, and oh look, here they are, and you get to enjoy them for that season. See, the perspective that James wants us to have is that that's exactly what our lives are like. You think of the rich and the wealthy of our time period. You think of the pursuits they have, growing businesses, creating trust funds, building an impressive portfolio. Now flash forward 100 years, and how many of their names do you think are going to be remembered? Flash forward 1,000 years, and how many of their names will be remembered? Many of us sitting here today are even hard-pressed to name the presidents of our country, listing all the way from George Washington to current day. And yet we think for some reason that the difference we make in this life is so big and so important and so grand, well, that we're going to be remembered for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's just not the case. And the message that James is giving us in this moment as he talks about the sun scorching and the flowers falling is that the pursuits of the wealthy and the pursuits of all of us for that matter, one day our lives are going to end. One day we will be cut down like grass. We will wither and we will fade away. And all the time we have spent pouring into our wealth, pouring into our health, pouring into the things of this world, they're not going to be worth anything anymore. At least not to us. So what is worth our time? Boasting in Christ and his resurrection. Building into the church of God's people who will live forever throughout all of eternity. Studying and memorizing and learning God's word of which no single mark will pass away. See, these are the things that are eternal. These are the things that last a lifetime. 
And so no matter what our situation is, whether we are rich, whether we are poor, whether we have much, whether we have little, we need to learn to be content with what the Lord has given us and pursue Christ in all things. Because it is our relationship and it is our pursuit of Christ that makes all the difference. You know, one of the issues that I have in my life that I struggle with on a regular basis is kind of like worrying and fretting about finance. You know, I've got a bachelor's degree in finance, and so I like I know how all the numbers work. My dad was a CPA, so he had conversations with me all the time about like investments and retirement and all those kinds of things. And man, it is a real temptation that I have to sit there and, and look at the charts and look at the graphs and do the math and figure out all the things. And as soon as I begin to do that, I forget what Jesus said. Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom. Seek first the Lord's face. Seek first the scripture. Seek first the Holy Spirit. Seek first Jesus. And all this other stuff is going to shake out and be okay. And that's not a promise that you will be rich in this life. That's not a promise that you're going to have everything you even need in this life, day by day by day. There is no such promise in the Bible. But there is this promise. For those who belong to Christ, your eternity will be glorious. For those who belong to Christ, your sins will be forgiven. For those who belong to Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we need to remember that. For those of us who struggle to get by, we glory in the fact that one day we will be exalted. Our Father is the King of the universe. And he greatly loves and blesses his children. For those of us who are well off and doing fine, we need to remember our sinful estate and what was done to forgive us of our sin. And that no amount of wealth makes us right in the eyes of God. So what do we take away from this passage of scripture? Humble yourself and pursue Christ. Boast in what Christ has done for you. And so proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection until the day he returns. What greater use could your life be than to bring honor and glory to our Savior, Christ Jesus? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you have shown us. And we thank you for the great joy we have in being in your house and praising your name. And Lord, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves financially today, that we would boast greatly in Jesus Christ and what he has done. I pray that we would boast in the fact that you have lifted us out of the mire and the muck of our sin, placed us firmly in your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves, understanding that no amount of skill or effort on our part could ever earn our salvation. But the only thing possible for us is to fully trust in Jesus and the salvation he provides. Let us remember eternity, Lord. Let us remember that no matter what the days of our lives bring us, they pale in comparison to the glory that is to come for those you have called to yourself. We thank you, Lord. 
We love you and we praise you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.